Jason's worship team. So glad that you could join us this morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ with us and to uh, get into his word this morning. I want to give a special shout out. I never really have done this much, but you will forgive me if I do something a little bit personal this morning. I want to give a special shout out to a little lady called Emma Paniagua in New York. Emma, if you're watching, Theo loves you. God bless you. So my little precious uh, niece who tells her dad, we got to get ready for church. Theo Charlie's going to be on TV. So, uh, so blessed by that. All right, we're going to need to get into God's Word. Get your Bible ready. Open it up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 50. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right. Now, in our text today, we are going to be looking the, between the, the, the Pharisee named Simon and this unnamed immoral woman. 
So our, 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 our text is actually this, this comparison between these two and how they interacted with the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon, we're told, invited Jesus to his home for a meal. But he didn't do any of the things that were customary for the guests that you invited to your home. In those days, the custom was, first and foremost, when they came into your home, you provided water for them to wash their feet and get the dust off their feet. Then you were to greet them with a kiss, signifying you really truly welcome them into your home. And lastly, you would provide an uh, uh, oil to anoint their forehead, which is a sign that they would be refreshed, truly refreshed. Simon did none of these three things. Uh, and we also see from our scripture that he viewed himself as a righteous man, especially when he compared himself to the other, this woman that was in, uh, in his home, this immoral woman that we find there. And uh, the interesting thing about this is this woman now, she comes into the home of Simon, and she kneels at Jesus' feet. Because remember, in those days, they did not sit on chairs. They, they, they sat at a small table, and they, I'm going to get on the ground here so that you can see. I don't know if they can do the move the cameras or they need to. But anyway, they would recline when the table would be in front of them, and they would recline sideways. So the woman actually was behind Jesus at his feet. And there... She begins to weep, and in weeping, she's now uh, cleansing his feet from the dust and using her hair to, to, as a towel to wipe them. Uh, and now, the interesting thing about all of this is that no woman in the Hebrew culture would unwrap her hair in public. The hair was always covered, and it would only be unwrapped at home so that her spouse could view her beauty, the beauty of her hair. But here, she publicly unwraps her hair, and she uses it as a towel to wipe his feet. Then she proceeded, the Bible says, to kiss them, which was not, not just a sign of affection, but it was also a sign of subjection, where she was humbling herself before the Lord. And then... The Lord said she used this very rare room. So she gave the Lord what was very costly. Now, one thing I've always wondered is, and maybe you've wondered this too, is how did she even get into the house? I mean, it, again, if you're Simon and you're this a Pharisee, which for those of you who are unfamiliar with your Bible, the Pharisees were the, most, the strictest sect of the Hebrew culture and faith. Uh, they were ultra strict in their belief, uh, so they considered themselves very righteous because they did a lot to separate themselves from anything that they considered sinful. Because uh, the word Pharisee actually means those who separate themselves. So the thing that Simon would want is to, for this woman to get into his home. But again, I discovered that the culture then was that when you had a, a, a guest coming over to your house and you were presenting a meal, you also left the door to your house open in case another uninvited guest showed up. 
And so this woman showing up was not unusual uh, for, for Simon uh, or for anyone to have this, uh, the woman come in. It was unusual what she did, but it was not unusual for uninvited guests to come when there was a meal being served. Now, having said all that, <clears throat> let's look at this comparison as it might relate to you and I here today. Because last week we were talking about true fireworks. We were talking about how uh, you and I as Christians, for those of us who have embraced Savior, how we have been truly set free from the control of sin. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be truly free. And we talked about how if we are truly been set free from the control of sin, then we should be displaying true fireworks, which is thanksgiving and praise. Our thanksgiving and praise should be demonstrative uh, because of what the Lord has done for us. Now today, I want to continue to build on that, if I could, by looking at these two individuals as they uh, interacted with Jesus, and I would submit to you that every single one of us falls into one or two camps. Either you will be part of Camp Simon, or you will be part of the, the camp of the immoral woman, or the unnamed woman. Let's use it that way. Simon's camp, unnamed woman's camp. Every single one of us will fall into one of those two camps. In Simon's camps, notice Simon invited Jesus to his home for a meal. So that can relate to us how we can invite Jesus into our hearts as our Savior. So Simon's camp doesn't deal with unbelievers. Simon's camp deals with people who have genuinely embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. Simon's camps are Christians. But the difference is Simon wasn't really interested in befriending Jesus. Many scholars believe that Simon invited Jesus because as a Pharisee, he really wanted to investigate Christ up close. He really wanted to find out what Jesus was all about in the hopes that down the road he might be able to, to trap him in something. So Simon's invitation might not have been genuine. So he was not really interested in uh, being personal with Jesus. He was, that's why he didn't offer the water. That's why he didn't uh, offer the, the, the kiss or the oil. He was in, not interested in any public display of intimacy with Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? There are Christians. See, we're not questioning somebody's salvation this morning, but here's the thing about Simon's camp. Simon's camp are, represents Christians who are not really interested in any public display of intimacy with Jesus Christ. And by that I mean there's, there's no public humility. There's no public affection. They, they're, they're totally reserved. Their desire is for religion without relationship. Listen to me. As the people of God, we can get so focused on religion and leave out relationship. 
And Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, surrendered his life on the cross of Calvary, not for religion, but for relationship. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, not for religion, but for relationship. And in Simon's camp, we can get so focused on rules and regulations and, and structuring our lives around these things that we're, we leave out and, and omit the most important thing, the very reason why Jesus Christ surrendered his life on the cross. And that is so that we can have a vital living relationship with him. Remember, Jesus did not die for rules and regulations. He died for relationships. And Simon, they see themselves as righteous people. What do I mean by that? Well, they represent the group of Christians who see themselves as good people, who see themselves as people who are right in God's eyes, and because of their focus being on living such a godly, holy life by rules and regulations, they have this tendency to elevate their righteousness by putting others down. I am more righteous than this immoral woman. In fact, Jesus should know who she is. She doesn't deserve to be here. She doesn't deserve to do what she's doing. You see, Simon's camp loves to look at and elevate their righteousness based on others' lack of righteousness, if I could use that phrase. The problem with that is this. When you're in the camp of Simon, you, because you don't see yourself as so sinful, you don't find that you need that much forgiveness. In other words, remember in another portion of Scripture, we find that there were two people in the temple praying, and one was a guy who knew he was a sinner and just kept beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Where Then you have the other guy who was very religious saying, God, I thank you, I'm not like that guy. In other words, he was trying to elevate his own self-worth by, by putting others down. And in, in the camp of Simon, we need to be careful. Again, we're not questioning somebody's salvation. But here's the situation. Because you see yourself as so righteous and so good, as not so sinful, therefore, you don't need to be forgiven much. And as a result, you don't love God as much. Because Jesus said, whoever is forgiven much, loves much. In other words, the measure of your love for God will be determined by how much you understand, how much you see that God has forgiven you. Now, in this unnamed woman's camp, well, she's in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing she does is, in humility, she publicly weeps, which means that she is not ashamed to express that emotional thanksgiving and praise that we were talking about last week. Uh, she was unashamed in her public display 
through weeping and, and using her hair to dry his feet. When you're in the unnamed woman's camp, you're not ashamed to shed tears of joy. You're not ashamed to be emotional, to bless the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship him in that fashion. She poured perfume on him. Jesus said it was very rare and obviously then very expensive perfume. Listen to me now. Our worship and our praise is very rare. In fact, it is the rarest thing on the earth spiritually. Listen to me. My worship and praise is so rare that it is one of a kind. You can't worship God for me. You can't praise God for me. You can't offer thanksgiving to God for me. Only I can do that. My thanksgiving and my praise is extremely rare. It's one of a kind, and so is yours. It's very costly in that regard. And we always have a choice to decide, are we going to give that which is precious, that which is rare, that which is costly to the Lord in worship and praise? When King David, at one place in the Bible, had to come and offer up a sacrifice to stop the, the God from judging the people, someone wanted to give him the, the things that he would need to offer up as a sacrifice, as a free gift. Say, no, here, take the sacrifice and take the wood. Take it all and use it to uh, offer the sacrifice to stop the plague and the judgment of God. And David said, no, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. Brothers and sisters, what does it cost you to praise and worship the Lord? There are times where, we, as we prayed earlier, where we are in need of a breakthrough. Do you know that, that at that moment, your thanksgiving and praise becomes even that much more precious? Because we all, by human nature, have a tendency to be more thankful and more praiseful when God blesses us, when everything is going great. But how about in those moments of great trial? How about in those times of great difficulty? That's when uh, it truly becomes precious, our thanksgiving and our praise, offering that up to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, she gave that which belonged, that which was costly. She willingly surrendered it and blessed the Lord with it. And may I add, it must have filled that room. The aroma of the perfume must have filled the room. Our thanksgiving and praise ought to create an atmosphere where people are impacted by it for the glory of God, you see. Why? Because as Jesus said, this unnamed woman she knew her life. She knew she had been living an immoral life. Nobody had to tell her that she was a sinner. She knew it. But equally, she knew that the Lord had forgiven her. And because the Lord had forgiven her of much sin, Jesus said she loved much. She was willing to do whatever she needed to do to express that love to God because she knew she had been forgiven much. Public display of our love for God will be determined by how sinful we see ourselves and how much we truly understand 
the depth of God's forgiveness. Because Jesus said, those that are forgiven little, love little. I would submit to you this, brothers and sisters. If you're having difficulty publicly worshiping God, demonstrating that, this, uh, letting, letting your thanksgiving rise up to the Lord, if you have struggled in that, I would submit to you, you're in Simon's camp. And, and probably the main reason for that is this. You don't see yourself yet as someone who is steeped in sin. You don't see your sinful condition. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, talked about how he constantly was doing the things he didn't want to do. And he declared, what a wretched man I am. See, no one had to tell Paul he was wretched. He knew he was wretched. Sometimes I think we get to that place where unknowingly we shift over into Simon's camp because we forget just how sinful we are. We forget the, the pit of sin that God got us out of. Some of us have struggled because we have never seen ourselves as so sinful. We don't see ourselves as so sinful because, well, I, I never did drugs. I was never alcoholic. And, you know, I never was much of a cursor and all that other kind of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, but I, I, I love God, but, I, I, you know, I never did all of that kind of stuff. I'm not that, I wasn't never that sinful. Every day that God gives me breath and I wake up, this is the truth. Uh, I, the truth. I, I just thank God because... I know the depth of my sin. And even as a pastor for over 30 years, I can still tell you every single day, I see a freshening in you of just how sinful I truly am. And it amazes me the depth of God's mercy in my life. And because I see my sinfulness, his mercy is amplified in my life. And because of that, I love him more. And because I love him more, I have no problem lifting up my hands publicly and worshiping him. I have no problem offering him thanks and praise because I know just how sinful I am. See, the more sinful you see yourself, the greater God's forgiveness becomes in your life. The greater his mercy is amplified. And the more his mercy and forgiveness is amplified in your life, the more you begin to love him because you recognize, man, he is so merciful to me. He forgives me over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how many times I was like, God, how many times can I come to you based on, on this situation, how I keep faltering and failing in this situation, and yet over and and over and over again, I experience your forgiveness. I experience your mercy. Oh, you're such a good God. You see how, how spontaneous that becomes? Uh, why? Because it's centered. It has this foundation based on the fact that I know how sinful I truly am. See, those who are forgiven much love much. Worship team, if you would come back up, please. And when you love the Lord much, you want to demonstrate that love. You're not concerned 
with others say. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but in verse, I think it was 49, it shows us that there were other people in the house besides Jesus, besides Simon and the woman. There were others in this home. So they all got to witness this thing uh, and what was going on, but she had no problem worshiping the Lord, blessing him the way she did. Brothers and sisters, I can't wait to the day that we can gather once again in God's house. We're all praying for that moment to come where we can gather together publicly and worship the Lord. But we can now still do that in our home. Our worship and praise, our thanksgiving shouldn't be restricted simply because we're still at, we're at home. On the contrary, it should be amplified even that much more. Can I have a word with all my fathers out there? All the husbands, all the fathers. You are the spiritual leader of your home. Let me encourage you. Let me exhort you this morning. Let your family see and hear you worshiping God. There could be no greater legacy that you can leave for your children, fathers, than for them to see you, for them to experience you worshiping and pub publicly, blessing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to leave you with this thought. Everything that Jesus did, everything he spoke to Simon was because he loved Simon. See, people might think, well, the, if you're in Simon's camp and the Lord doesn't love you and he loves the, the camp of the, of, the, of the woman, the unnamed woman, he loves them more than he loves the camp of Simon. No, that's not true. Jesus loves both of them equally as much. And his desire in doing this teaching to Simon was to hopefully help him to open up his eyes so that he would see himself in that place. He would see that he is falling short, thinking that he is righteous, thinking that he doesn't need to be forgiven much. So whether you find yourself in Simon's camp or the camp of the unnamed woman, here's the last few thoughts I want to leave you with. God loves us all. God has a tremendous love for all of us and he desires for you and I to have our eyes open first and foremost about our own selves never allow yourself to think that you've arrived at such a place spiritually that you are not so sinful may God open up all of our eyes so that we would see our own sinfulness every single day because when we see our sinfulness, when we see the depravity of our soul, when we really truly uh, have our eyes open to that, then it drives us to the Lord and, and ask for His mercy and ask for His forgiveness. And when we receive that, when we see how wicked we truly are, and yet we receive His forgiveness, His mercy, it causes us to love him more because he who that is forgiven much loves much